1: Tonight on
2: the readout. What is the specific constitutional crime that you're investigating? Well, we're having an inquiry so we can do an investigation and okay. control the production of witnesses. <laughs> and, and what is and, the crime and, you're and, investigating? And documents. With high crimes, misdemeanors, and bribery. What high crime and misdemeanor are you investigating? Look, I, I will, once I get time, I will explain what we're looking at and I will make the equivalency. No, I'm just asking of you for the last the, impeachment. I,
1: that is Congressman Joe Naguz asking a simple question, one that Republicans still can't answer as they breathlessly approve a Biden impeachment inquiry. Congressman Naguz joins me tonight. Plus, as America's Mideast policy faces strong criticism, there appears to be a growing rift between President Biden and Israel's Benjamin Netanyahu. Representatives Rashida Tlaib and Cori Bush join me tonight. And there's breaking news tonight in one of Jack Smith's federal cases against Donald Trump. The Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit handed Trump another setback. I'll talk to Andrew Weissman about how that went down. And we begin tonight with settling scores. As we all know by now, retribution is Donald Trump's goal. And today, his Republican followers in Congress moved closer to getting him some by authorizing their impeachment inquiry into President Biden, a formal step, they believe, will grant them the ability to better enforce their subpoenas in the courts. Every single House Republican, including vulnerable Republicans in Biden districts, voted for the inquiry. Take note of that, voters.
3: On this vote, the yeas are 221 and the nays are 212. The resolution is adopted.
1: Now, mind you, this impeachment inquiry is based on the same cockamamie conspiracy theory pushed by Rudy Giuliani that got Donald Trump impeached the first time which should tell you something about the quality of the allegations. And to be very clear, that is why we're here today. Republicans have made no secret of the fact that they want to sully President Biden and even the score with their twice impeached, four times indicted leader ahead of next year's election. It is important to make clear that despite a lot of trying, House Republicans have not found anything to impeach President Biden for, as they probe the business dealings of his son, Hunter, a point Democrats made repeatedly during the floor floor debate today.
4: The Biden impeachment investigation isn't a whodunit, it's a, what is it? It's like an Agatha Christie novel where the mystery is what's the crime? I think if we give him enough time, he's gonna prove that Hunter Biden is Joe Biden's son. We're here today not because of any wrongdoing by President Biden, but because Donald Trump wants revenge.
1: In fact, Republicans have spent years investigating allegations related to Hunter Biden's business dealings in Ukraine. Note, this is why they hate Ukraine. And whether Hunter was kicking back cash to his dad. Their efforts date back to 2018 under Trump's attorney general, resulting in not a single piece of evidence linking Joe Biden to his son's business. In September 2020, Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley released an 87-page report on this very same topic. And they found— nothing. Their report was little more than a rehashing of unproven allegations that echoed a Russian disinformation campaign, because of course. In May of this year, during a much publicized press conference, Republicans on the House Oversight Committee released their first report on an investigation into President Biden and his family and concluded that they had yet to find evidence of a specific corrupt action President Biden took in office in connection with any of the business deals his son entered into. And when you ask them to show their math or provide evidence, any evidence at all, they openly acknowledge they don't have any and that this will probably amount to nothing.
5: I have no evidence of it, and I'm going to just follow the facts where they are. And the facts haven't taken me to that point where I can say that the president's guilty
6: of anything. Can you identify any actual policy decisions that Joe Biden has made in in response to getting paid for those policy changes? Well, we'll have to—that'll be part of the investigation.
7: Is impeachment dead on arrival in the Senate if it gets here? Uh, it depends on what they come up with. I don't know. You know. most likely. Of course, Lindsay.
1: Look, you see, they can't be bothered with the truth or facts because that isn't the goal. Congressional Republicans, who are Trump's de facto legal team, merely want to tarnish his political opponent and make Biden and Trump all even Stephen, impeachment-wise. Here's Texas Congressman Troy Nels telling a Rolling Stone reporter why this is so important
7: to Republicans. Representatives, what are you hoping to gain from an impeachment inquiry?
1: All I can see is Donald J. Trump 2024 base. And seen. As a reminder, Special Counsel David Weiss is not investigating the president. He is investigating his son, Hunter, and has indicted him for not paying his taxes on time and buying a gun while he was under the influence. A number of legal experts from from both parties have noted that indicting Hunter Biden for tax evasion when he's already paid his back taxes smacks of unfair treatment. This morning, Hunter himself, who was subpoenaed to testify in closed session, publicly called the Republicans bluff. On the steps of the Capitol, he agreed to testify in public before the Judiciary and House Oversight Committees.
4: I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family did not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. And in the depths of my addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that as grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. It's shameless. Republicans do not want an open process where Americans can see their tactics, expose their baseless inquiry, or hear what I have to say. What are they afraid of? I'm here, I'm ready.
1: An offer they have declined, even though House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer expressly stated last month that witnesses could choose to either appear in a deposition or a public hearing. In an ironic twist of fate, Jim Jordan, who openly ignored the House January 6th committee's request that he appear for a deposition, is threatening Hunter Biden with contempt for simply doing what he did.
7: And we're disappointed that he didn't show up. I mean, he was just across the way at the Capitol. You think he could have come here and sat the question. But look, when Congress asked you to come, you know, you're supposed to come and, uh,
1: and come and testify. Ah the hypocrisy. Joining me now is Congressman Joe Naguz of Colorado, who you saw a moment ago in that very telling exchange with Republican Guy Rechenthaler and Matthew Dowd, MSNBC political contributor and analyst and chief strategist for the Bush-Cheney 2004 presidential campaign. Uh, Representative Nagoos, let me start with you. Did you ever get an answer to your question about what is the crime that your colleagues on the other side of the aisle are, invest- are, are, imp- are preparing to impeach Joe Biden for?
2: Well, good evening, Joy. It's good to be with you. Uh, the answer is no. I never did get an answer, and I don't think we're ever going to get an answer, Joy, because there is no answer. The reality is that Republicans are pursuing this on behalf of Donald Trump. As you articulated so well, this is a an act of political retribution that Donald Trump has... Uh, compelled House Republicans, ordered House Republicans to pursue uh, and the sycophants that they are, they have decided to do so and it's deeply disappointing but uh, perhaps the most confounding and frustrating part of all of this is that they openly concede that there's no evidence of wrongdoing. They have yet to articulate any cogent crime that they are investigating, any connection to the constitutional standard for impeachment. Uh, It is, in my view, uh, a deeply Flawed distortion of the impeachment process, and it's reflective of the misplaced priorities that House Republicans are pursuing right now in the U.S. House of Representatives.
1: Uh, let, me, let me read a little bit of uh, the statement out of the White House um, from President Biden uh, on this impeachment vote. There's a lot of work to be done, but after wasting weeks trying to find a new speaker of the House and having to expel their own members, Republicans in Congress are leaving for a month without doing anything to address these pressing challenges. I wake up every day focused on the issues facing the American people. Unfortunately, House Republicans are not joining me. Instead of doing anything to help make Americans' lives better, they're focused on attacking me with lies. Instead of doing their job with, and the urgent work that needs to be done, they're choosing to waste time on this baseless political stunt that even Republicans in Congress admit is not supported by facts. Representative Nguz, to come back to you for a moment, what has the House of Representatives accomplished in this past session so far this year?
2: I I hate to answer the question the same way, Joy, but the answer is the same. Nothing. Republicans have been in control of the House for the better part of the last year, and they have nothing to show for it. I couldn't agree more with the president. I share his frustrations. I suspect the vast majority of the American people feel the same way. I mean, you think about The last 11 and a half months, uh, and what has uh, the House Republican Conference achieved? They tried to shut the government down twice. They came very close to a catastrophic uh, default on our national debt. They vacated their own speaker. The only thing of note of substance that they've accomplished is expelling a member of their own conference, George Santos. And, of course, it took Democratic votes to achieve that outcome. So, uh, look, this is extremism on full display. It is symptomatic of, as I said, the extremism that has metastasized in the Republican Party. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, it seems as though this is going to continue. And they are doing deep damage, in my view, to our republic as a result.
1: Uh, Matthew, let me play for you Mike Johnson. Uh, This is Mike Johnson in 2019 versus Mike Johnson now. This is the current speaker uh, about how he feels about single party impeachments.
2: The founding fathers, the founders of this country warned against single-party impeachments. They said that it would be bitterly divisive, perhaps irreparably divisive for the country. When you have a majority of the House of Representatives go on record, that sends a message. The founders of this country warned against a single-party impeachment. You know why? You guys know why. Because they feared it would bitterly and perhaps irreparably divide our nation.
6: We're playing by the same rules the Democrats set. If Democrats thought this process was fair for President Trump, they should think it's fair for President Biden.
1: I mean, they're, they're kind of telling on themselves, uh, Matthew, because the reality is the thing that those two years have in common is that being impeached made Trump sad and it made him embarrassed. And so they have to fix that now by embarrassing Joe Biden with the same tag, the same asterisk. They're literally impeaching, <laughs> trying to impeach Joe Biden because Trump is sad and they want the two of them to be on an even scale am i reading that wrong
4: no i mean and think about this in a couple of different ways is first if they were actually interested in good government and they actually believed that the impeachment of Donald Trump was wrong then why wouldn't they fix the process if that's what they believed? And fixing the process isn't doing the same thing in their mind. It's basically saying, we're not going to do that because we believed it wrong. That would be the natural good government thing to do. The other thing I'll say about this is you could also play, I know you played all the impeachment hypocrisy notes, but also the hypocrisy that they have of they constantly attack the FBI, the National Security Council, the Justice Department, and the deep state because they say they're involving themselves in Americans' lives without evidence of a crime and they're investigating people and they're doing this and we must put a stop to this deed state and what these law enforcement agencies are doing. Well, what are they doing in the course of this? And the analogy that I thought of that that this reminds me of is if we were all driving down the highway in a car and somebody, a cop pulled us over and sa- and, and then we said, well, why are you pulling me over? Well, no reason, but I'm going to pull you over. And then we said, well, what evidence do I have that I did anything wrong? None. None. And then you sit there and look across the highway, and there's a 51-car pileup, and there's people dying. And you're like, well, why don't you do something about that, since you don't know anything that I've done wrong, and they're not going to pay attention to this. And that's what's going on in the world right now. There's a 51-car pileup. There's a democracy under attack in Ukraine. There's a democracy under attack in Israel. There is the uh, immigration system that is broken. There's a ton of issues that need to be dealt with. But they want to pull people over for having done nothing with no evidence of a crime. It's utterly This shows there have no interest in governance.
1: Well, I mean, they're doing it for the election, right? Because it, to your analogy, it would be like that same scenario. But then when you ask the cop, they said, well, I'm pulling you over because I pulled that guy over and we want you to be equal, <laughs> you know, because he that guy got pulled over. So you're getting pulled over despite well, the pileup over there.
4: It would be, I pulled that guy got for going 110 miles an hour, and I'm pulling you over. I mean, that, that guy, other guy was going 110 miles right. an hour. I mean, the hypocrisy of this is so deep. And the fact that Donald Trump is facing 91 indictments, and Joe Biden has been, there's not an evidence, of a, a scintilla of evidence that he's done anything wrong, but they're still willing to say, Donald Trump is the greatest thing on earth, and we want to support <laughs> him for president.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Representative Ngooz, the the issue here is that Joe uh, Donald Trump was impeached because he tried to bribe and strong arm a foreign government to get fake data that he could use against Joe Biden to win an election. Then he got impeached again because he tried to foment a coup. I don't know how they think that that's the same thing as Joe Biden lending his son money to pay his car note. That, but yeah, that's a, literally what they've got so far, right? They've got Joe Biden loves his son and helped him pay his car note. And so they're saying, well, these two things are the same. Coup and trying to bribe Ukraine to try to win an election and paying the, the kid's car note because the guy's car note because he had problems and he had drug problems. And, and then one more thing I just want to throw to you, Representative Nguz. Um Jim Jordan is now stomping around saying that they might hold uh, Hunter Biden in contempt if he doesn't show up for subpoena. He wrote a letter to the January 6th committee saying, I don't have to do the subpoena. This is an unprinted and an inappropriate demand. This request for outside the bounds of any legitimate inquiry, blah, blah, blah. I don't have to. He threw that subpoena on the ground and spat on it. How can he then try to enforce subpoenas?
2: Yeah, well, two things I'd say. First, Joy, I agree with you with respect to the complete false equivalency that Republicans have tried to draw between this baseless impeachment inquiry and, of course, the last impeachment that the House conducted, which was a bipartisan impeachment. I was one of the prosecutors in that impeachment. Donald Trump was impeached on a bipartisan basis for inciting a violent mob to disrupt the Electoral College proceedings and subvert the peaceful transfer of power. One of the most serious constitutional crimes that one could conceive of. And as you said, he's been singularly focused on exacting retribution. He's ordered House Republicans to pursue this revenge. That's what this is all about. Now, with respect to Chairman Jordan, uh, obviously, they would like to conduct this inquiry completely in private, behind closed doors. Their resolution reflects that. They deleted the phrase open and transparent from the the language of the resolution uh, intentionally, in my view, because they realize that they don't have any evidence, and that to the extent these hearings are public, uh, they obviously will not inure to their benefit. Uh, I agree with you in terms of his efforts to impede the January sixth investigation. It's fairly rich for him now uh, to be, you know, making uh, the scene that he has in the last twenty four hours regarding uh, the president's son uh, and his potential testimony. But again, the American people see this for what it is, which is political theater. They like to see us get back to governing and addressing some of the challenges that Matthew uh, spoke so eloquently about.
1: Very quickly, Matthew, Dad, what's going on with the two senators from your home state of Texas who will not even respond to Ms. Cox being denied an abortion and having to leave the state to get one? They seem to have no thoughts on it, even though they both were state officials. They're saying, well, we're just federal now, so we don't have to talk about it.
4: Well, I'd have an expression that's not meant for television, but they're chicken you know what in, in the course of this process. They've always been this way. It's unbelievable the trauma and the tragic nature of what happened to that young woman in the course of this. And this is what happens with exception with these things that are exceptions that are put in place with extreme unintended
1: consequences. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Congressman Joe Nguz and Matthew Dowd, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, in the land of legal jargon, where arguments brew, Trump's attorneys gathered—oh, yes, it's true—with whimsical whispers like Cindy Lou Who, they complained about a Grinch with a legal point of view. The Readout continues after this. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island?
6: we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
4: Today, an indictment was unsealed. Charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. In this case... My office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens.
1: From the outset of that announcement over the summer, the goals of special counsel Jack Smith and Donald Trump became very clear. For Smith, it was to hold the principle that no one is above the law. For Trump, it was to delay, delay, delay. This week, Smith called Trump's bluff by requesting an expedited review by the Supreme Court of Trump's claims of absolute immunity, a request that the court has agreed to at least consider. Trump's team has until next Wednesday to respond to the special counsel's request. We have a preview of what that filing might look like, given that today was the deadline for Trump's team to respond to the same request by the special counsel in the U.S. District Court of Appeals, where this case would have normally moved to next, if not for Smith's request to go to the Supreme Court. In Trump's filing, his lawyers claimed that an expedited review would violate Trump's due process rights and somehow irreparably undermine public confidence in the judicial system. They also claimed that an expedited consideration would inflict harm on the public's First Amendment rights because of the planned timing of the trial's March 4th start date. Quote, the potential trial is likely to last for months and it will thus inevitably interfere with the ability of American voters to hear from the leading presidential candidate at the height of the campaign in derogation of their First Amendment right to receive his speech. The special counsel's team quickly responded to that filing, claiming that none of the arguments made has any merit and added the need for expedition to serve the public's interest in a prompt trial has heightened importance here, not only because of the nature of the issues, but because of the defendant's appeal—because the defendant's appeal suspends trial proceedings until the appeal is resolved. And breaking just in the last hour, the U.S. District Court of Appeals has granted the special counsel's request to expedite Trump's presidential immunity appeal. That appeal will move forward as the Supreme Court considers whether it will hear the case. Trump's opening brief is due in court—in court 10, uh, in, in court ten days—in court in 10 days on December twenty. Third. Joining me now is Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel, MSNBC legal analyst and co-host of the Prosecuting Donald Trump podcast. Uh, well, Andrew, we did miss out on being able to enjoy the uh, Horton Here's a Who, How the Grinch Stole Christmas uh, argument uh, that was being made in this filing uh, by Trump's team, which literally quoted the how the Grinch stole Christmas, claiming that, oh, no, they were going to try to make us work over the holidays, over Christmas and that sort of thing, even though, you know, the holidays didn't prevent Donald Trump from uh, harassing Mike Pence to overturn the election and working over the the election in 2020. Your thoughts on how this is all going?
7: Sure. Well, there's a lot of news going on and there's sort of two parallel tracks. There's the track, as you mentioned, Joy, in the Supreme Court where um, the court is basically asked for Donald Trump's positions. And we'll see whether the Supreme Court leapfrogs the D.C. circuit. But what has happened today, just minutes before your show, is, as you noted, the D.C. circuit, which was asked by by Jack Smith to expedite its appeal because it basically was saying, you know what, we can't take any risks. We either need the circuit to act quickly or we need the Supreme Court to act quickly. Well, the circuit did act quickly. Um, In spite of Donald Trump's uh, comments about the Grinch stealing Christmas, um, the court said this is going to be fully briefed by both sides by January 2nd. All parties will have all of their papers in to the court by January 2nd. So this could be heard by the court as soon as the third, um, as soon as it's fully briefed. So they clearly are expediting it. You know, my tea leaf reading is it puts a little less pressure on the Supreme Court to act quickly, they may just decide to let D.C. issue its decision. They clearly are moving very, very quickly. And that way they can sort of hold in abeyance the Jack Smith request. And then if they want to take the case, they are sort of poised to jump as soon as the D.C. Circuit rules. But this oh. is a very good development for Jack Smith because it clearly shows both yeah. courts are, are listening.
1: So just to, to clarify, just for the audience, so that means that now... The D.C. Circuit seems that they are not open to the argument that, you know, you've got to slow this down because Donald Trump's rights are being violated by making him rushy-rushy. That that that, that sort of previews that they probably would rule for Jack Smith, meaning that the Supreme Court could take a, a buy on it, right? They could say, you know what, let's let whatever they do stand.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And just to make a fine point about how absurd Donald Trump's argument is about not wanting this decided quickly. Donald Trump's point to the district court and on appeal is that he says, I'm immune from even being indicted, that I should not be charged. He should want that to be decided immediately because he's saying I'm harmed every single minute that I am under indictment. My rights are being violated. By the same token, he is telling the court, oh, but take your time deciding this. (laughs) Um, It is completely inconsistent.
1: And it's clear that the reason they're doing that is that he's hoping to drag this out, become president, and then order his Justice Department to just throw the whole case out. Like, we, we, we can see through what he's doing. The other argument that yeah. was in this uh, briefing from the Trump side, which I found extraordinary, was that he's still making this fundamental argument that everything he did on January 6th and leading up to it was part of his job as president. And he cites, could George W. Bush then be indicted for lying to the public about the Iraq war? Could Barack Obama then be indicted because they used drones over to kill people that were accused of being terrorists. Like, he's trying to essentially say, I'm just like every other president. But what he was doing was not even waging war, which we can disagree with presidents waging war. He was trying to stay president. Like, how is that your duties?
7: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the DC Circuit, uh, in a civil case decided just a couple of weeks ago, said not everything that you do while you are president is part of your presidential functions. When you are running for office, when you are seeking to become president again, that is not a presidential. Judy. So if you are committing crimes as part of your campaign um, to stay in office, that is not something within the function of the office of the White House. So that decision by the D.C. Circuit bodes very well for Jack Smith and not so good, obviously, for Donald Trump. You know, all of this, I have to say, is, you know, you're probably looking at me going, doesn't this make a lot of common sense? Um, And it's all (laughs) dressed up in legal language. And the answer to that is right. (laughs) <laughs> um, that, you know, it really cannot be the case that, that just because you are president of the United States that you can kill somebody or right. you can just decide to. And could you imagine what this would mean? Can you really have a second term with a president who is told, by the way, you have absolute immunity to commit <sighs> crimes in office? Um, it, it just cannot be the case.
1: Especially with Donald Trump, who would do that? He would then commit all the crimes because he committed them while he was in office the first time. Uh, Andrew Weissman, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, More good news, meanwhile, on inflation today. But what about greenflation? You know, corporations flat out lying about their costs to pad their own profit margins. Any relief from that on the horizon? Maybe in your stocking? We'll find out next. Today, the Federal Reserve announced that for the third time in a row, they will not be raising interest rates while also signaling three cuts next year, a sign that the cycle of rate hikes may finally be over. It comes on the heels of several encouraging economic reports regarding unemployment, consumer spending, wages, as well as inflation. This week, new data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that in November, the pace of inflation slowed to 3.1%, a huge improvement from the same time last year when prices were rising at a pace of 7.1%. But even with inflation cooling, you may be asking yourself, when you're out shopping or at the grocery store, why are prices so much higher than they were pre-pandemic? Especially as companies are raking in massive multi-billion dollar profits. Well, the answer could be a little something called greedflation, the idea that corporations are essentially raising prices above inflation so they could make more money. Just last week, a study of more than 1,300 corporations across the globe found that company profits rose by 30 percent between 2019 and 2022, significantly outpacing inflation, particularly within the oil, gas and food production sectors. And this is not a new phenomenon. Earlier this month, a federal jury ruled that some of the biggest egg manufacturers in the country conspired to limit the supply of eggs in order to increase their prices between 2004 in 2008. Joining me now is Ali Velshi, host of Velshi here on MSNBC. I am so excited about the chance to talk economy with you. I always love doing this. So let's let's do this. Yep. Um, so greenflation is it, it, I think it's a thing. I mean, there are people on CNN. Sure you can see these CFOs saying, oh, my God, we're making so much money. And yeah. you know, put aside oil and gas, which is, you know, they're wars. That they always that. do this. Right. But are they just profit-taking?
3: Well, look, just take a look at it. Profits are high. Uh, The stock market is at the highest point it's ever been. The stock market is a reflection in theory of how much money a company makes, and you pay a multiple of that for the stock price. So everything's going well. There's some companies that are pretending we're sort of in a recession, but we're absolutely not. The problem with inflation is once you get people used to the concept, which we've done now for the last year and a half, the expectation is that prices will go higher. So eggs are Really, the best example. There was a massive uh, increase in the price of eggs. And, you know, we, we see this again with gas and things like that. But some of that was real. Some of that was a a supply chain backup, things like that that happened during COVID. But most of it is actually solved at this point, by the way, thanks to this administration. And now we're back to normal prices. But you, the consumer, have been convinced that prices are higher. Prices should be higher. I have this conversation all the time with people who keep telling me about prices. We now have wages going up because we've got 3.7 percent unemployment. Your wages are actually up higher than inflation at this point. And people still believe that inflation is the most dangerous thing to their prosperity at the moment. As long as they believe that, you can keep raising prices.
1: Right, and the thing is, you've got like this sort of disconnect, right? Where people are saying the economy is terrible, but they're spending like record amounts. I mean, all of yeah. the stories that say people are going to spend record amounts—they're spending record amounts on travel. They're going to spend record amounts for the yeah. holidays, and yet people say, "I." The economy is terrible. When yes. All the metrics say it's good. Right. But yes. And the reason they're saying that is because they actually can't afford their lives because prices aren't going down. Right.
3: So let's look at the measures of why you should be feeling good or bad about the economy. The most the single most important thing is jobs. Right. We have a three point seven percent unemployment rate. i spent the first 20 years of my career as an economist, as an economics journalist thinking that 5% was full employment. Right. It doesn't go below that, 3.7%. So what does that do? It it raises wages, which is a good thing. Wages are up. Uh, the Look at the difference between January 2021 and November 2023, 3.7%. Yeah. So those things are, the rate's down. Wages are up. That's great. Wages are up more than inflation. You should be feeling good. Stock market, Dow hit an all-time record today, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So that'll look like your 401k. That's uh, at, at record levels. We have high mortgage rates at the moment, 8 Mm percent. The Fed said today maybe they'll cut rates three times next year. So it's all good. And there's a measure of consumer sentiment measured by the University of Michigan. And for the first time, it's showing more consumers are positive about the economy moving forward than negative. So I think, Joy, we probably have a two or three month lag here where you're going to see wages go up more than inflation and people will start to chill out and feel a little better about it.
1: And the other thing I would say, too, is that the people who are the most price sensitive and eco- economically sensitive are younger people. Right. And so younger people are the most mad at Joe Biden yep. for many, many reasons. But one of the things you hear people say is, well, under Trump, I got more money. They're talking about the stimmy that Trump delayed so he could put yes. his big fat signature on yes. it and pretend he did it when actually Nancy Pelosi sent you the stimmy. Like Pelosi did that. How is has he been able to get away with it? Is it just the simple act of signing those checks?
3: He it was very important to him to have his signature on those checks. Ironically, it was after the Trump administration ended, the Biden administration came in and we ended up with a really significant stimulus that some people still tell me is the <laughs> reason for inflation. Yeah. But that's the thing that got everybody going. That's the thing that got this economy going. And by the way, you always want the economy to get a little hotter uh, then mm-hmm. do it the other way around then 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 be short. So we're dealing with that now, but we've got a lot of jobs, we've got a strong economy and at some point people will figure it out and they'll start to feel a little better about it. It's not perfect. There's still a lot that needs to be fixed, but we're actually yeah. fixing it.
1: Uh, there you go, and also the economy was bad during Trump because Trump lied about COVID and made the economy crash. It's his fault. Anyway, yep. Ali Velshi, it's always fun talking with you. Thank you, my friend. Much Very appreciated. Bye. All right, and still ahead is the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza, just the latest manifestation of long-standing failures in how Western nations deal with the Middle East. Representatives Rashida Tlaib and Corey Bush join me straight ahead. Yesterday, 153 countries voted for a United Nations resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, with only 10 countries, including the U.S., voting against it. This comes as Israel's attacks on Gaza have continued to intensify, and they've started to flood Hamas tunnels with seawater. Gaza is at a crisis point, with the U.N. warning that at least half the Palestinian population in the densely populated Strip is starving. U.N. Relief and U.N. Relief and Works Agency Commissioner Philippe Lazzarini said today that, quote, civil order is breaking down and to call the scenes witnessed in Gaza inhumane is an understatement. There are also concerns about the waterborne disease, about waterborne diseases as Gaza runs out of clean water and children's vaccinations have run out completely. Eighty percent of Palestinians in Gaza have been displaced from their homes, and heavy winter rains have created what the U.N. calls a living hell, flooding tent cities. NBC News spoke to a woman in Rafah tent city whose tent was flooded and who had no access to drinking water.
5: Why are our children not like the rest of the world's children? What is their difference from us? We are human beings.
1: It's worth noting that the 135 hostages still in Gaza are facing the same treacherous conditions. And as the war rages on, there are also some Palestinians living in Gaza who have expressed frustration with the war Hamas has brought upon them. Today, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that Israel will keep fighting until Hamas is destroyed, appearing to double down after President Biden said at a fundraiser yesterday that Israel is starting to lose international support due to the, quote, indiscriminate bombing that takes place. And then Netanyahu, quote, needs to change his government. This comes as Biden is facing a divided country at home, with protests calling for a ceasefire on one side, but also a Congress that censured its only Palestinian-American member, Representative Rashida Tlaib, for her rhetoric criticizing Israel and calling, a Palesti- and calling for Palestinian freedom in an ad using the slogan, From the River to the Sea. Representative Tlaib and her colleague from Missouri, Cory Bush, join me next.
3: I have had conversations with Bibi Netanyahu, and uh, and uh, I want to make sure that uh, we don't forget uh, what we're doing here. We have to support Israel because they're an independent nation that's being, I mean, the brutality, the inhumanity, the way in which Hamas treated the Israelis. But I think that uh, we have made it clear to the Israelis, and they're aware that the the, the safety of innocent Palestinians is still of great concern.
1: That was President Biden yesterday attempting to strike a balance between supporting Israel and protecting Palestinian lives. Joining me now is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Michigan and Congresswoman Corey Bush of Missouri. Thank you both for being here. Um, and I, I do want to start with you, Congresswoman. I, I want to first ask about your family, uh, who I know are in the West Bank. How are they doing?
5: I mean, I think, you know, they've lived under occupation for so long, but I know now um, they see that the world is turning their back on Gaza, and it's it's, it's heartbreaking for them. But they continue to tell me the instability and the violence within the West Bank had existed prior to October 7th and has just escalated to the point where, you know, they're, they live in complete fear, always checking up on each other, making sure that folks knew, know where— you know, they're going when they're coming back from work. Uh, and it's, it's this constant, again, not feeling uh, completely safe. Yeah.
1: And, and, I, and with apologies, I want to take you back to uh, a, a moment that is the reason that we wanted to talk with you. This is the day that you were censured, uh, you know, the, the war at home, we should call it, that when you were censured on the House floor. Take a look at what you said at that time.
5: Palestinian people are not disposable. We are human beings, just like anyone else. The cries of the Palestinian and Chile- Palestinian and Israeli children sound no different to me. Why? What I don't understand is why the cries of Palestinians sound different to you all.
1: I can see uh, behind you, you're surrounded by your fellow members of the Progressive Caucus, your friends. Uh, but- Uh, more than 20 Democrats voted with Republicans to censure you. Did any of them have a conversation with you? You were so emotional. You have so much to say about your family. Did any of them talk to you before they made that vote?
5: I mean, a handful. Uh, I mean, I was completely heartbroken. I I did not know that they were going to, you know, stand with the fascist uh, side of the aisle um, in silence, the only Palestinian American, even after we've had heart-to-heart conversations where I tell them I have as much a stake than any other person that continues uh, to believe uh, in certain policies when it comes to Israel and Palestine, you know, because my family is there, and that my voice and my perspective is needed more than ever. And I continue to say, I, I have an open door policy. Come talk to me. Uh, I believe in coexistence. I actually am corny that way, and I really do. I really believe we can have a country that was like when my grandparents were born, honestly, where Every faith was welcome, where my grandfather picked olives next to his Jewish neighbor. And that's the dream that I have for the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. And I know we're going to be able to get that, but not in silencing a Palestinian-American in Congress.
1: And, and you, you uh, Representative Bush, have been a stalwart, standing uh, with your colleague, um, uh, Representative Talib. Talk a little bit about the atmosphere right now inside of the Democratic caucus. It's there there's a lot of friction being reported. A lot of people are saying, you know, no we're not gonna support Biden. There's a lot of friction inside of the party. What is it like inside the caucus right now?
8: You know, it you have people who um are, and I'll say it, keeping their distance. Um From us um, in some ways, Um, but uh, the numbers—you know, initially, it seemed like we were all we had. Um, But, you know, every day, you know, it seems like things are starting to open up and we're starting to have more conversations. Uh, I will say that Within the caucus, we still have, uh, you know, people who believe in, uh, like, not a ceasefire. You know, not, it's not the time yet, or we want a regional ceasefire, or we want a bilateral ceasefire. They're, you know, using all of these terms to, like, to separate. Uh, it's ceasefire now. What we're saying is. A ceasefire is all parties coming together, you know, and so all we want is, uh, regardless of what let, what word you put in front of it, stop the indiscriminate bombing now, and we will continue to have that message. I think that people are starting to see though, that um because the world has come along you know we're we're talking about um even um in this country when the king center when the carter center when the pope you know is saying you know ceasefire when uh, yesterday when that uh, the vote uh finally the UN the UN General Assembly you know voted for the ceasefire i think people are starting to see we're seeing leaders global leaders from around the world we're seeing people in the streets we're seeing uh, uh that when almost 80% Of Democrats in this country are saying they want to cease fire. So people are starting to change in our caucus Uh, and but it's not enough. We need more because how do we stop the mass casualties that are happening in uh, Gaza? without the leaders being the ones who lead.
1: And I wonder if, if there's been a conversation with the White House. The White House has been very sort of condemnatory toward you and toward others, particularly around the from the river to the sea language. And a lot of young people on college campuses use that same language. I want to give you an opportunity to explain what that means when people say that. Yeah, I
5: mean, for me and many folks and many of my residents, I mean, since they're children, they've been saying it prior to even Hamas even existing, right? I mean, this was a call for liberation uh, when I uh, I remember it because it rhymed, right? And we were Marching, it was about true liberation, about coexistence. It was about really loving peace and uh, coming together. So many of my residents didn't even know that folks thought of it as a different, in different way, and it was the first time they actually heard folks try to vilify it. Or, uh, and, and again, for me though, uh, to try to police me to tell me what it means. You know, to me as a Palestinian Uh, and they know I come from a place of love. They know where my heart is. Uh, But again, they weaponized it
1: to um, to try to silence me. And I wonder if the heads of the White House reached out as well, because it does seem like Joe Biden, the President Biden is trying to somewhat modulate his tone. Has has, there been any outreach?
8: Um, We reached out. To the White House, um, and there were other members of Congress uh, who reached out to the White House when we were called repugnant and disgraceful um, when we first, when we initially called for a ceasefire. We have yet to um, have that conversation yet. Um, we keep asking for it. Um, yeah. We want some clarity on um, exactly what they meant by that. Um, but no, there has not been outreach directly, but we are speaking with our, li- our like White House liaisons yeah. know exactly um, why we keep with this stance, why we decided to have a vigil mm-hmm. on the steps of the U.S. Capitol when uh, that was to mourn and grieve the lives of Israelis as well as Palestinians, yeah. when the house only mourned the lives
5: of Israelis, yeah. and uh, we'll keep pushing. Yeah, and the dehumanization continues. I mean, what yeah. I reach out to the White House about is, hey, you said this. This, yeah. this is going to increase hate towards yeah. Palestinians or people that support a
1: ceasefire. We are out of time. I'm going. I'm into the next show, so I have to let Chris Hayes do his show. Our representatives Rashida Tlaib and Cory Bush, thank you so much no, for, for you coming for here us. and speaking with me. And that is tonight's readout.